Hi, What the Health Tech listeners. I'm your host this week, Justine Abson. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week, we're talking to Lottie Moore from Public Policy Projects. Lottie has worked in public policy for several years and is particularly interested in social justice and health. She joined Public Policy Projects in January 2021 and has launched several reports on health equalities since then. She also works with Professor Sir Michael Marmore at UCL, leading a network of businesses engaged in public health. Outside of work, Lottie enjoys reading, socialising and running, occasionally. (laughs) Um, Hi Lottie, welcome to What the Health Tech. Hi, thank you, nice to be here. Great to have you Um, and thank you for travelling up from London today to to come and be with us. It's great great to have you here. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit today about um, women's health um, and the series of papers that, that you're working on. So can you tell us a little bit more about why the series of work focusing on women's health in particular was started? Yeah, so I mean, when I joined PPP in January 2021, we sort of, we're halfway through the pandemic at that point and it's very clear that health inequalities have been, you know, exacerbated and particularly that burden was falling on women so, you know, in the pandemic, it was it's, it's, women have suffered the most in terms of health outcomes, but also in terms of when everyone's stuck at home, you know, the amount of unpaid labour that women are doing as opposed to men. Um, and particularly, it just it felt like it was the right time to do something. Um, and so that's kind of why we sort of kicked it off. Um, yeah, back. Well, yeah, a year and year and a half ago now, really. <laughs> That's flown by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, obviously, the, the first international women's report, um, which is titled A Women's Health Agenda Readdressing the Balance, um, was published in March this year, um, yeah. coinciding nicely with International Women's Day. Yeah. Um, so what does this report cover? So, I mean, women's health is actually can be quite a saturated space. So we wanted to do something that was not just another women's health report and I don't sort of stereotype of women talking to other women moaning about women's issues do you know what I mean that that's quite overdone and so what we wanted to do you know there was nothing in what we were doing which was reinventing the wheel we were you know we were we were not trying to come up with anything fancy or innovative we were just looking at the current health policies that were in place for women and I suppose critically analyzing them and going you know why is it that a woman you know has to get a prescription every time she wants a contraceptive pill when it's been around for 60 years you know why is it that you know a man can get a vasectomy uh, a woman wants an abortion she has to get you know two medical signatures on a, on a on a form so it was kind of just going over um what was out there and how we could you know produce good policy to kind of change that and change the dial slightly yeah, and I think that that brings us really nicely into the fact that you know the, there's an area of focus about the fact that there is a lot of stigma still involved yeah. um, in healthcare issues for women. You know, you mentioned about the pill there, the yeah. you know abortion. Um, so, what do these involve, and and how can we do more to remove that stigma? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is that women themselves are not educated on their own health. So, you know, when it comes to periods, we don't know. You know. Very few people know what's normal and what's not. I mean, you know, all I knew about a period when I when I was taught about them was not to get toxic so- shock syndrome. And I've never met a woman that's ever had it, <laughs> but I didn't know what was normal, yeah. you know. And so I think it's 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 that women themselves are not taught about their own bodies. You know, we're not educated on on what we should be looking out for, what's normal and what's not. And I think so. Firstly, is talking about it um, is a way to remove that stigma. But I think as well, it's about um, 
getting the men on site too, you know, and that it's very easy for women to talk to their friends and sit in the pub and talk about, you know, their periods or, you know, whatever it is. But you need to talk to men about it as well, because ultimately, you know, the system we live in, lots of men are in power. So you need to get them on side as well. Um, I think that's probably a key, you know, key thing. Yeah, and I think that um, that bit about talking about it is massive, really. Um, even, you know, you kind of mentioned that it's easier to talk to your friends about it in, in yeah. the pub or anything. But, you know, I still think a lot of friends don't talk about no. that sort of stuff either. And exactly. it's, it's almost like there's a stigma even between friendship groups mm. of mentioning that, well, actually there's yeah. something wrong and is that right and, yeah. and that kind of thing. I think as well we've seen that with Davina McCall and this menopause, you know, she's a celebrity figure that said, talking about the menopause for the first time and suddenly now everyone's talking about the menopause. Well, it's, it's not new. It's not like it's a new health condition, do you know what I mean? It's been around since the beginning of time and it's only now that people are, it's in the public consciousness that this is a condition that women go through, everyone will go through it, you know, and, and, and people should be aware of it. So, you know, I think you know, the kind of waves of sort of women's health progress is being made, but it's not consistent, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it does, it takes us back to an episode we filmed, a, recorded a, f- a few weeks ago, which was all about mental health um, awareness. And it's the same kind of thing, I guess. It's that talking about things that actually make people more aware of it and make it, they normalise it. Everything yeah. that we're talking about is normal. Mm. Um, so mm. normalising it is, yeah. is such a big thing. Yeah, um, so one of the key themes is involved in the paper is is around assisted conception um, and the postcode lottery that's involved with the process of things like IVF. Um, how can reports like this help to look at readdressing these issues? Yeah, so it's quite interesting because we IVF was actually kind of the odd one out in terms of what we were, you know, the, the chapters that we covered. We did you know women's cancers um and we did the kind of reproductive cycle but actually IVF is part of the reproductive cycle you know you know conception abortion menstruation menopause you know and actually it, this was an international report so we weren't just looking at the UK and in certain communities in particularly in in, in um, middle and low income countries um you are not going to get through the door to talk to women about um stopping having children if you're not also going to tell them to have children, because in sub-Saharan Africa particularly, women are seen as just baby makers. They are literally just reproductive vehicles. And so, you know, in those communities where the men are really in charge, you know, if you're going to go and try and talk to talk to you know someone's wife about how to stop having babies, you have to tell them how they can have them as well. And that was a really kind of tactical thing that we thought, well, you know, we can't just go into these, you know, recommend that these women all suddenly start taking contraception which would would be would be more appropriate in the UK context because the 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 scale of the problem is so different you know um internationally you know compared to what we're facing here but particularly with the IVF and then in in the UK as well it's become a really commercialized industry so you know actually i think it was last year um IVF was um more, you know, the, the, more money was generated from IVF than cosmetic surgery, which is crazy considering you're meant to have three cycles on the NHS. Um, that's that doesn't happen, um, but people are so desperate that they pay for it, and they're paying for services that are actually um, 
no, with no proven necessary, you know, no, no proven kind of scientific evidence that it will help them to have a child. But we wanted to really tackle this thing of, you know, why is IVF seen as this sort of privilege or this sort of medical extra when, you know, the World Health Organization, it, it is di- it is a disease, infertility is considered a disease. So why do we treat it as if it's like, you know, having a lip filler? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that was that was sort of part of why we, we chose IVF. Um and and the solutions are again, you know, more simple than that was always the point of this project was that actually none of the recommendations that we came up with were particularly complex or difficult or you know, we weren't saying you know, they were actually you know, also reasonably cheap. Um it was just about reallocating resources and getting people to realise where there were barriers that didn't need to be in place. Um, and particularly that was true with the IVF um, situation. But again, that was one chapter where it was really obvious the differences between global women's health problems and then, you know, I guess, Western women's health problems. Yeah, and I guess that is a, you know, like you said, it's an international report. Um, mm. And there are definitely going to be certain things that come up that are so obvious in one place that are you know not even thought about in in somewhere else so yeah um i think that probably is one of the interesting factors when you're looking at things on an international basis as well yeah so something that was mentioned or has been mentioned is why often straightforward and simple changes to women's health have not been addressed what recommendations have been made on around that yeah i mean so well particularly around menstruation and menopause you know, 20 million girls each year miss school because they don't have access to period products. So they they cannot afford a tampon, so they don't go to school. You know, and then I think the other stat was that uh, 40% of women um, feel that their productivity is hampered in the workplace by their period. And that is costing the economy 6 million sick days a year, which is, I think, 530 million pounds I don't know whether that's right <laughs> fast maths yeah but um that that you know that was a stat that we really shocked me um so you know part of it was in Scotland they've introduced free period products in every public space um and so you can go to the library you can go to the swimming pool you know that that's very very achievable for us in England um and that would make a huge difference and actually, you have to look at the kind of cost benefit. If you can, you know, understand, you know, that, I don't know, you know, five days every month, a woman is probably not going to be feeling as great. Um, as an employer, rather than if that woman feels that she's being understood, she probably won't take a sick day, which is then going to cost you less in the long run. So, it, it, you know, if you can invest more in getting people to understand what a period is, uh, well, men, because I think men women all know what a period is, but um, it actually will cost you less in the long run. Um, and the other thing that we did was around abortion. Um, and this this recommendation actually got taken up um, very soon after we published the report, which was during the pandemic, um, having a taking a pill at home. Um, so for, for early medical abortion, which means that you, you need to abort before 12 weeks you take two pills um and you used to have to go to the doctors so the doctor would watch you take a pill you'd go home you'd probably miscarry on the bus and then you'd have to go back two days later and take the other pill and then do the same thing again in the abortion because they didn't want 
women to be basically on public transport and spreading coronavirus, um, they legalised this at home. So women would still have, you know, a face-to-face consultation, but it would be virtual. Um, and then they could have, they could pick up their prescription or they could have it posted to them. And the, in terms of the safety, um, it was, it, it became something like over 99% more safe. You know, women were, were less and less women were having complications. And it's just a really simple thing. Do you know what I mean? And so we said the government was then considering repealing that legislation despite this, all of this evidence. And we said that is mad. And not because it was any agenda, because it was, that was what our, our experts told us. And that's what we do here, you know, PPP. We don't just, it's not just on a whim. You know, we had the best doctors in the world here saying, you can't, you can't get rid of that. And so we recommended, you know, we told you just, this is what we think you should do. And this is the medical evidence as to why. Mm. And, you know, brilliant, you know, gain for women that, that then, you know, the government said, actually, yeah, we, you know, there's going to be a riot if we try and take this away. So that's now been made permanent. Oh, I mean, that's amazing. And that's credit to the the kind of work that, that you guys. Are yeah. And it's not it's well. not just us as well. There's lots of charities that we also worked with that were really, really, you know, hot on this too. But you know, it, it is that kind of thing where you go, um, something that is actually really, really simple. It, it, we weren't saying it was any sort of amazing technology that needed to be invested in, just a really simple trick that would add, you know, actually revolutionise, you know, women's health. They weren't going to have to go and face anti-abortion activists in, a, in, you know, outside a clinic. You know, it was safer. You know, it makes sense. It's a lot less traumatic as well. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, no one ever knows why why a woman's going to go and get an abortion yeah so it's to, to kind of be able to do it at home in the comfort of your home yeah and know that you know like you said like when it happens you're not on a bus you're not yeah you know in the car park or, exactly. or whatever that might be is yeah definitely feels like it will be a lot less traumatic for yeah. the, the woman involved as well yeah and I think the other thing is that you know we've seen particularly in America which is you know supposedly a liberal democracy uh, abortion is being legal, uh, illegal, illegalized. It's being made illegal in certain states. Yeah, so you can't ever take for granted women's health. The gains that we've made, we can't take them for granted because if somewhere like the US can then make abortion illegal, you know, no one's safe from it. And you know, the thing is, is what what, what I always say is, if you stop, if you if you make abor- abortion illegal you're not going to stop women having abortions. Women are going to have abortions anyway, but they're, they're going to do it in an unsafe way and they're going to die potentially. So, you know, you don't, you don't, if you make something more difficult, you don't stop it happening. Um, and I think there's a lot of things like that in women's health, you know? Yeah, definitely. It doesn't just go away just no. because it's illegal, basically. And I think it's that, like you said, you know, you, you kind of don't want to go one step back, one step forwards, two step backwards. Yeah. You know, that decision's been made. So, yeah. you know, why kind of then turn around and take that decision back so um yeah absolutely I think it's and it's fantastic that 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 has now become obviously um legal in in the UK which is great um one thing the report does highlight is the importance of embracing a culture of change um in the design and delivery of women's health Mm. to achieve national systems and local services that fit to meet the expectations of, of the 21st century woman basically um where are the biggest concerns around around this so I think with with the 21st century women, you know, 
so you know in the UK we've embraced a society which it, you know allows women to be educated to have careers so you know my mother who was having her kids at 21 you know I'm not you know, I'm 25 now I've got no plans to have kids anytime soon um, because the opportunities that I've had she didn't have but at the same time we're expecting women um, to be in a you know financial position to be in a stable relationship which often doesn't come till later in life so you are going to have a longer period of time where women are going to need contraception um, and you're going to have a longer period of time where women might not be able to conceive naturally. So again, going back to IVF and assisted conception, um, more and more women are going to need to have that because in terms of the way that we're going societally, women are having children later and later and later. And so, you know, that needs to be a serious kind of consideration for the government particularly in public policy mm-hmm. is that this problem's only going to get more you know more exacerbated and then linked to that is that more women are living longer so again you know more people in the menopause for longer and i think particularly with the menopause you know women in their 50s and 60s are often at the most productive and most skilled time of their lives in terms of you know they've had their kids um they've grown up um They've, they've been in the workplace for 30 years or however long, so they've got the most skills they're ever going to have. And they're leaving because of the menopause. They're retiring early because of the menopause. And that is actually a particular problem in the NHS. So, you know, we need to retain that workforce. Um, and so I think that's a that's a big challenge, particularly is, is basically the ageing population of women and the actual natural cycles that they're going through. How do you make society, how do you adapt society to those changes? Yeah, and I think um, going back to obviously you mentioned about the menopause and obviously at the beginning about actually talking and how important that is. And I think that is a huge thing. You know, I remember, uh, you know, my my mum going through it when I was younger and it, it wasn't talked about. No. Um, instead, it was just like, oh, what's almost yeah. what's wrong now sort yeah. of thing. And Or she's gone you mad, know. you know. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, yeah, it, there's a lot of stereotypes yeah, around so it. To now be talking about that yeah. and raising this awareness, I think, is, is so important. Um, which brings me really nicely, actually, into um, into my next question, which is about how we can all help to raise awareness. So, you know, from our listeners' point of view and, and that kind of thing, how can we help raise awareness of these issues and help to shape the future of women for, I guess, not just the UK, but, but across yeah. the world? I think, again, to, you know, education is a really key thing. And particularly, you know, when you're talking to children or like young girls that are teenagers, like, being honest about what, you know, what the experience is like to have a period or, you know, to have a baby or, you know, to, to struggle to have a baby. You know, those things that, that are taboo, you you only dispel the taboo by talking about them. But also, so I think it's an education piece, particularly for younger girls, but also it's about recognising the wider context in which we have it really lucky here, relatively. So, you know, when we're looking at, you know, lower middle income countries, what can what can we do here to help those places? And also what can we learn from them? Um, so a particular example was that, you know, Rwanda is 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 actually um, on track to beat cervical cancer before the UK does. Wow. So they have an elimination strategy that will that is going to um, eliminate cervical cancer the f- fastest in the world. If Rwanda can do it, why on earth have we not got policy in place? To, to eliminate cervical cancer um and actually that that is going to be the next pandemic um for women is that you know maternal mort- maternal mortality has decreased but 
more and more women because they're kind of adapting to more western lifestyles they're having sex earlier um cervical cancer is 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 going to be killing women in millions in you know 10 15 years time so what are we going to do now to prevent that how are we going to invest in those countries to make sure that those girls are protected um so i think it's about education but it's also about context as well you know there's loads of there's so you know and like the thing is is women are very good at sharing so women you know they don't keep things to themselves if you have a you know they're 50 you know 50 percent of the world like you you can't you you can't stop them yeah um you know you can't ignore 50 percent of the world right so you you know i think it is just about like you know riding on the wave of sort of feminism that we're in now that does impact women's health um so i think recognizing that yeah and i think it's um you know, it, it is such an important important point. And there's so many things to talk about as well involved in women's health in general that, you know, just talking yeah. about little bits and pieces with your friends is is really key. Yeah. So what about the future? Um, you know, what's next in the in the series of work for, for women in healthcare? Well, I've got lot I've had lots of plans. <laughs> <laughs> um I think I think we you know, we'd really like to do something um on you know minority ethnic women um so you know there's really bad statistics about you know black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth in this country than than white women so there's a lot of um work policy to be done on 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 you know how can we improve healthcare and access for for minority ethnic women i think as well there's a lot on you know we we have a a, a big life sciences pillar within our within our um, policy at PPP and particularly the intersection of health and life sciences then you know women participating in clinical trials so that you know the drugs that they're um, they're receiving are properly tested on them you know COVID-19 um, pregnant women were excluded from clinical trials so pregnant women didn't know whether it was safe for them to take a vaccine um, and now really really sadly the women in ICUs now who are dying of COVID are pregnant, unvaccinated women. So women were not introduced into clinical trials until nine months in. Mm. I mean, that's not that's not OK. Um, and that's often the case. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, that is the, the sort of the thing that probably does need looked at more mm. um, and thought about. Mm. And, you know, there has to be a way to kind of get that involvement, I guess. Yeah. So um, to tie up this episode, um, at the end of every one, we ask everyone about what their health tech moment is. Um, so the question is, a bit of fun, you know, everyone's got weird and wonderful stories from, from healthcare. Um, so is there anything you've got that's impacted you or anything that you'd like to share with our listeners as your what the health tech moment? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, no, because, you know, obviously working in kind of policy, I don't, you know, we don't explicitly work in health tech, <laughs> but in terms of my personal experience of health and tech um you know i'm i'm a big dr google person so i think i've probably diagnosed myself with about four thousand terminal illnesses <laughs> i think i think everybody uh, has done the same when i'm actually <laughs> perfectly healthy uh so yeah i'm definitely you know a, a, a kind of internet dr google person i could do much better i could i would do much uh better without without the internet in terms of my health I think <laughs> yeah I genuinely think most people have um, in fact I think everybody has definitely googled that um, yeah. that symptom thing at, at least once but yeah it can be a bit scary to do that can't it yeah 
Oh, brilliant. Um, Lottie, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been great to have you and obviously to talk about such important topics that people don't feel comfortable talking about as well. Um, and I think this series of papers is just going to help raise that awareness. And, you know, I, for one, will kind of take away talking to my friends more about about some of these issues. Um, so, yeah, really appreciate you you joining us today. Um, next week, we're speaking to Craig Rainford, Project Manager at Radar Healthcare. Craig recently joined us after spending 20 years with Four Seasons Healthcare Group. Um, so we're really looking forward to chatting to him about, about moving over to Radar Healthcare. Um, don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions for our guests or us, please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com. Thanks. Thanks.